Amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you grab a seat, get a Bible in front of you to Genesis chapter 28. If you're newer to navigating the Bible, the book of Genesis is the very first uh, book of the Bible. And uh, uh, if you need to pull it up on a phone or an iPad or whatever you have, Genesis chapter 28. While you turn there, let me ask you this. Have you ever found yourself negotiating with God? Have you ever found yourself negotiating with God? Uh, often uh, it's, you know, and, and I think as we grow in the faith, often we, we become like theologically sophisticated enough to know that we shouldn't say those types of things out loud. We shouldn't negotiate out loud with God. But I think all of us, if we're honest, there's times in our heart where we're negotiating with God. If, if, if you know the Lord, maybe it's times where you found yourself or you've gotten yourself into a really hard place and you're navigating some of the consequences of that hardship and, and, and all of a sudden you find just uh, spontaneously from your heart, God, if you if you do this, then I'll, I'll never do it again, or I'll do this, or I'll, or if you're in the room and you're not a Christian yet, you've never believed in Jesus, maybe what's kept you from believing in Jesus is this negotiation where you feel like uh, you got to do some things. There's, there's X, Y, and Z that you have to do, and then maybe God will look down with favor on you, but have you just ever found yourself there? And I bring that up because last week we were introduced to one of the patriarchs of the Bible, a, a, a man named Jacob, and we watched his birth and his early years and this, this, this intense sibling rivalry that he has with Esau, his twin, but uh, as we came to the end of Genesis chapter 27, Jacob is on the run, and he's on the run as this, I, I, I like to say, a, a fugitive over an embezzled blessing. Uh, he stole his brother's blessing. His mom kind of helped with this con job. And, and as we came to the end of Genesis 27, his mom's like, Jacob, here's the deal. Esau is going to kill you because of what you did. I'm going to go to your dad. I'm going to say, we can't let Jacob take a wife from this area. Let's send him back to Abraham's native land and find a wife there. And so um, as we pick it up in Genesis 28, we're going to see Jacob on the run. Uh, but I got a couple questions uh, for, of, of what are we going to find here with Jacob on the run? How is God going to deal with Jacob after all this deception and this con job, this scheming, this manipulating? Uh, God is going to meet Jacob on the run here, but how will he deal with him? Is Jacob going to get a divine spanking here? Like, honestly, like we would expect, you know, in light of, of, of everything that Jacob's just done, like we would expect, like, man, this could, be, this could be a tough encounter with God, and I think we're going to be uh, maybe wonderfully surprised at how God deals with uh, runaways, wanderers, and sinners on the run. But I think what we might be even more surprised by is Jacob's response to how God treats him with grace. Uh, God, and I'll just kind of give it away from the get-go, God's going to meet Jacob in his running with what, what I would say is like top five scenes in the Bible of just the lavish, generous grace of God. And what's going to be so shocking is how God's going to come and, and, and freely offer by his grace these promises of blessings unconditionally. And how in Jacob's vow back to God, he takes all that free offer of unconditional blessings of grace and turns it into a conditional, demanding, negotiating table with God. And we've maybe never seen that before. If you've studied the Bible for a while, you've maybe never seen that before in Jacob's response back to God. But I hope we see it today. But I hope even more so that God might use this to reveal to us any times that we hear the gracious, unconditional 
promises of God, and we in turn respond to God with conditional debating and negotiating. And so uh, we're going to walk through this one chapter today, and this one chapter, this one message has one point. Here is what I hope we see today, that God offers me unconditional blessings by his grace. Man, I hope we see that today. I hope that if you're at church today and need to be reminded of God's lavish, generous grace for you, regardless of um, how well you did at living this week, I hope you'll see this today. And then I hope we'll see this, that our response to that, when God offers me unconditional blessings by his grace, that we're wrong, I'm wrong, when I take that and I make conditional demands back to God. And right now that might be abstract, you're like, I don't think I do that. Maybe by the end of this message today, God will just show us our hearts and how we might do that. So let me pray, and then let's get into God's word. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we're here right now to um, submit ourselves to it. Lord, we're not the authority, you are. And we're not the masters, you are. We're not Lord, you are. God, our wisdom is foolishness. And so we're here today to bring our lives under your word, to not just be hearers of it only, though, Lord, to be doers of it, to obey, to let it, to let it work in our heart the outcomes you want to work in our heart today and then to leave here ready to obey it. And so, Lord, as we walk through this chapter of the Bible, will you meet with us in a very powerful way as your word goes forth in the power of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 28, verse one. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, here's dad's blessing to his son. God Almighty bless you, and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give, and what does he say next? May he give what? May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. And so um, um, uh, Isaac here is sending Jacob off and he's sending Jacob off with a blessing. And uh, you, we can see all the components in this blessing are the blessing of Abraham. And he just explicitly says this. I'm, I'm praying the blessing of Abraham over you and not only you, but of your offspring and your descendants as well. And, and so he's leaving with his earthly father's blessing, and we're calling this blessing the blessing of Abraham. We'll just file that away because something's going to happen later in the chapter uh, that, that kind of reiterates this in an even more powerful way. Um, but I want us to see where Jacob's leaving from, just get our bearings geographically. Jacob's heading off from the south here of what will become the promised land, and he's heading back north, back to where Abraham had originally set out uh, when God had called him all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And so Jacob is heading north. Now, um, uh, Genesis 28 does something here, uh, kind of sandwiched into the middle of this chapter. This chapter is predominantly about Jacob's journey and what God does in meeting him on that. But we have sandwiched in the middle of this chapter some, some content on Esau. And remember we said last week that often when the Bible brings up Jacob, uh, we can expect on its heels something about Esau. 
And the Bible's usually juxtaposing these two. And it goes all the way back to what God had to say to their mom, Rebecca, before these twins were even born. And the Lord said, there are two nations in your womb, and they'll be divided. One's gonna be power, more powerful than the other. The older is gonna serve the younger. And so we see now the Bible, uh, uh, God uh, unveiling to us how these two nations are arising in the deep division. And so look at what happens now with Esau, verse six. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So... When Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael. Esau went where? Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahaleth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. And so uh, Esau's watching this and going, okay, uh, mom and dad don't approve of us taking Canaanite women uh, as wives. And so maybe if I too go to a descendant of Abraham and I find a wife that, that, that I'll, I can strive after some of this blessing as well. And so we watch Esau go to Ishmael, the line of Ishmael, and take a wife from there. What are we seeing? God is continuing to show these two nations that are propagating in the division between them. God's blessing is flowing through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And we're watching Esau fall into the line now of Ishmael and these two nations will just continue to grow throughout uh, uh, the, the biblical history, throughout all of history, and these nations will rise and be divided with each other. Now, back to Jacob. And as we turn back to Jacob, as he's on the run, this fugitive, embezzled a blessing, I wanna bring up this question again. How will God meet him? How does God meet sinners and wanderers how does God meet us after we really, really blow it? Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And I just, I kind of want to stop there, and I want us to remember what we know about Esau and Jacob because of what the last chapter told us. Esau was a man of the wilderness. He was a hunter, he was a man of the field. It told that we, we learned last, last week, Jacob liked to stay around the tent. Now you have Jacob out in the wilderness, he's all alone, he's left with just himself, his thoughts, and the Lord. Um, he, it's nightfall's coming, he grabs a rock, uses it as a pillow, think less though for the purpose of a pillow, probably uh, more for the purpose of protection should anything come throughout that night. And he's about to sleep under the stars here. This has to be unnerving. It has to be particularly unnerving because you know, and I know, after seasons we've really just blown it like Jacob has here with this whole deception and manipulating and scheming and being on the run from a twin brother who wants to kill you. Like that can be a pretty unnerving thing. He's laid bare before his thoughts and before the Lord and look at what the Lord does here, verse 12. And he dreamed, and I want you to see this series of beholds. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and then the behold, the behold, the behold. behold. And behold, the Lord stood above it. 
And so I, I just want you to try to see the best that you can. And I look for some like artist renderings of people trying to draw Jacob's dream and they're all like blah. Because you can't draw this. You can't depict this with art. To show you a picture of what this would have been like would just to be to reduce it down. But imagine he falls asleep. There's a ladder to heaven. On the ladder, there's angels ascending and descending. But we have to see the centerpiece of this vision is the revelation of the Lord, Yahweh. It says right here, the, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord stood above it. This would be awesome like in the true definition of awesome it would elicit awe and now uh, in this vision with the lord as the centerpiece god is going to reveal to speak something to jacob what will god say what does god say to a deceiver who's just schemed his own twin who's on the run Here's what God says. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What a spanking, right? What? How does God meet a deceiver, a schemer on the run? He meets him with a lavish, extravagant grace. And as Jacob left his, uh, his earthly father's house, he leaves so with his earthly father saying, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for the blessing of Abraham over you. As he gets out into the wilderness, under the stars, no one but him, the Lord shows up, and this is exactly what the Lord does. The Lord speaks the promise of Abraham over Jacob. It's from this point in throughout the Bible, we'll see the Lord referred to as the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is receiving the promise through Abraham, the promise of Abraham, and I just gotta ask a question. What has he done to deserve it? What's he done to merit it? In fact, let's back it up. What did Abraham do to deserve being called out by God as a chosen man of his? What'd he do? What did Abraham do to deserve God establishing that covenant with him when the animals are split and the Lord alone passes through? What did Abraham do to earn that or to merit it? What did Isaac do to earn or to merit this kind of blessing from the Lord? And what has Jacob done to earn or to merit this kind of blessing from the Lord? Uh, just scheme and deceive his twin brother and have to be on the run because he's about to get killed by him. I want us to see, and I've said this again and again and again as we've studied Genesis, that this whole idea of grace, and, and let's define grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. It wasn't that God was just one way through Genesis and one way through the Old Testament, and then he stumbled upon this idea of grace, and he's like, let's, let's reveal this New Testament thing that'll be all about grace. It's been about grace from cover to cover. The covenant started by grace. 
The covenant is continuing right here, 28 chapters into the Bible by grace. And guess what? Through Jesus Christ, the covenant extends to us by grace. We are deceptive, wanderers, sinners on the run, met powerfully by a gracious God. There's nothing here that Jacob's done to earn or merit this. Kent Hughes says this, and it spoke to my heart as I read it this week. Let's go to that. Fellow believers, this is all grace. Jacob, the conniving believer who was outcast and alone due to his own sin, who merited nothing from God, was met by God in his misery with an unparalleled revelation of God's care and assurance for the future. And then I love this part, because this was my heart. When I took off and went to college as a 19-year-old, I wasn't seeking God, and the Lord met me. Jacob was not seeking God. He was fleeing the consequences of his deception. He was not expecting grace, but grace was unleashed upon his soul, and with not even a word of reproach. Do you notice that there? All the promise of Abraham, the land, the descendants, and, and from you all the nations will be a blessing. Hey, but Jacob, can we talk about the whole thing with the stew and the, not one word of reproach. The vision and voice of God bore, only bore assurances. Met by grace. And some of us in the room today need to be met by grace. Some of us in the room today, um, you're running from God. You're, you're running from God. And today, you need to see that, 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 that you, as someone who's on the run from God, uh, uh, will be met today by a gracious God who unleash his lavish, generous grace on you. And how has he done that? How has he done that? Here's how he's done that. Uh, your sin deserves eternal damnation. And listen, I know that you're not used to hearing a 33-year-old pastor wearing a cardigan speak about damnation in our day and age, okay? But it's the fact. We've watered it down as a culture. Listen, the Bible's clear. My sin, do, you know what it deserves? You know what I deserve? I deserve to be separated from a holy God. He's holy. There's not an ounce of impurity in him. I deserve to be damned. I deserve to be away from his presence forever because, because of what we would call in our human terms even the slightest, smallest sin. Thoughts from this last week should damn and condemn me. This is, how, this is the perilous reality of sin. But God did not leave us in our sin. He has loved us so much that Jesus Christ, he sent his son into the world to live a perfect life to die the death we all deserve because the Bible clearly says that the penalty or the wages of sin is death. We can't get around that reality. The wages, the penalty of sin is death. But thanks be to God who has loved us so much that he has sent his son who is our substitute sufferer, our substitute dyer, who was buried in a tomb, who three days later rose to life, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, who now advocates and mediates us on our behalf and invites us to himself by grace. That the moment we believe 
Jesus Christ, I see, like my, the scales have fallen off my eyes. I see my sin. I see that I deserve to be condemned. And I see what Jesus has done. Save me. And he saves us. And there's nothing we've done to earn it. There's nothing I've done to merit it. There's nothing Jacob has done here to merit hearing this blessing. The land on which you lie, I'll give you. Your offspring shall be the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the north to the south. You, your, your offspring uh, uh, will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. To, to hear, I'm with you. I'll keep you. I'll bring you back to this land. It's been by grace. It's by grace here. It's always going to be by grace. There's nothing you can do to earn your way to a holy God. The Lord invites us to believe and to receive. Now, if you're Jacob and you wake up from this, what should your reaction be? I mean, face in the dust. Lord, I am no one. All that you have said, I freely receive. What is Jacob's response? Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was, what's the word say? And he was what? Good, Jacob. You should be afraid. With that reverent, holy, awe-inspired fear of the majesty and mighty power of God. You should wake up afraid. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? Good, Jacob. You should wake up and say, that was awesome. And I did not know it. And he was, uh, 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 how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, Bethel. This place will be called Bethel forever. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Good, Jacob. Uh, build a pillar here. Get oil. Pour it on. Let's worship. And with this pillar up, let's make sure that everyone who passes this will stop and worship the revelation of Yahweh that happened here. And it's like, good, 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 good. Jacob, you're getting it. Jacob, God's broken you of that old scheming and deception and that. And then his vow. Then Jacob made a vow saying, what's the first two words of the vow? If God... If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come again to my father's house in peace. Next word, you say it out loud. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth back to you. When we read this, just in our morning devotions, or maybe as you've read this, just like throughout your own faith journey and studying the Bible, it's easy to read this and go, hey, 
Good job, Jacob. Okay. You're saying, you're saying some pretty good things here. I don't think he is. I think Jacob's still wheeling and dealing. And I think he's still wheeling, I think he's wheeling and dealing with God here. Why do I say that? God has met Jacob with unconditional promises of his grace. And Jacob replies with conditional demands back to God. I think Jacob is going, God, if you really do all this and get me out of this predicament I'm in, then you will be my God. What makes me say that? If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat, God, if you'll give me some bread to eat as I'm out on the run here, God, if you'll give me clothing to wear uh, so that I, and God, if you'll, if you'll bring me back to my father's house in peace because if there's one thing that's not at his father's house right now for him, it's what? It's peace. Murder's waiting for him there. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, then God you will surely be my God. Listen, faith is not a bargaining game. Faith is not a negotiating game. Faith is not a debating with God. God has already promised him these things. God has already told him, this is what's gonna happen. This is what's gonna happen. This is what's gonna happen. And then God laid down the trump card. God pushed all of his gracious trip to chips to the center of the table when he said, and guess what? I'm with you. I'll keep you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. For Jacob to wake up and to make a vow that says, if you, if you, if you, if you, then I'll, then I'll, then I'll. I'm arguing is not a response of faith. How do we do this? Maybe you're like, I, I don't think I do that. I know I sure find my heart when I'm in hard places like Jacob's at here going, God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll never do it again. God, if you just get me out of this, then I'll, I'll, then I'll try to really, really get my act together. And yet this isn't how grace works. How else do we do this? How else do we take the offer of unconditional grace that God has given to us and pull it over to the negotiating table and start to make some conditional demands back to God. Uh, my roommate in college did it. When we were up late on a Friday night, early into Saturday morning, we were talking about this good news message of what Jesus Christ offers to us. And I, was, I told him, Ephesians chapter two tells us that it's by grace we've been saved through faith. This is not our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not by works. None of us have anything to boast about. And, and I watched at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. as we just kept talking. I watched his anger level rise. And finally, from the top bunk to the bottom, he shouted down, no, it's not true. There has to be things I do to earn my way there. And he was taking the 
free promise of the grace of God and he was pulling it over to the negotiating table and saying, God, there's gotta be some things that if I do this, then you will. My 80-something-year-old friend at Starbucks a few years ago was doing it. I was always working there. He'd come in and read the paper. We began a friendship and was having the same conversation with him. It's not by works. For God's grace, we are saved through faith, not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not by works. No one can boast. And he just said, hey, frankly, Brock, here's how this is gonna work for me. He's lived 80-some years. He'd lived through some harder things than I could even fathom. And he said, when I die and I stand before the Lord, I have some questions for him because of the hard things I've lived through. And depending on God's answers to those questions will depend on whether I'll come into his presence or not. And my friend was hearing the free promises of the grace of God and was pulling it back over to the negotiating table and saying, God, depending on how you answer this, and friends, that's just not how it works. God lavishes us with extravagant and generous grace. We just gotta love each other enough to say, we are so wrong when we respond with any sort of God, if you do this, then I'll, then I'll. What could we possibly bring to the negotiating table with God? What could we possibly say to him, God, unless you do this or if you do this? Look at what Ephesians chapter one, verse three, it'll be on the screen says, look at what it says and let's kind of worship our way through this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reading this in the context of what could we possibly ask God for more of? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has already pushed all of his chips of grace to the center of the table. There's nothing he's withholding from us. There's nothing that has to be yet accomplished. Like God, if you do this, then I'll really then I'll really respond to you as God. I love, uh, a couple guys came up after the first service and they're like, dude, Ephesians 1.3. I don't even know what that means to receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I'm like, I don't either, but I want that. And it's, and it's solely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, let me just leave us with this question for this week. Where do your, if God, then I, demands, need to just turn to God has, so I, surrender. God, you've given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. So I'll just reply with just giving you my life. 
God, yeah, this has been a really hard season. God, I cannot believe some of the pain that we've walked through. But there is nothing good that you're withholding me right now. So you get my worship even in the hardship. I asked Jake, just as kind of the close of the sermon, I just asked him to sing this lyric. Would you stand with me if you would? But I, I want you to just, I want you to just hear this sung, sung over you. And I'll say a few things and we'll get to sing together as we leave. But great, uh, Jake, sing this over us. Oh, your grace so free washes over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new in the room today like my friend and roommate from college and you you don't have salvation you've never believed in Jesus and you've been sitting at this negotiating table well there's got to be and if I do this and if I if I I just want you to hear that your good and gracious God who created you and who sent his son to die for your sin is inviting you to push yourself away from the negotiating table and sit at another table and it's the table of redemption and grace where he's just pushed all of his chips to the table already. And he's just saying, all of this is yours. In Christ Jesus, all of this is yours. There's not a 10 step process you have to do to get there. Would you surrender? Would you believe today? And like right here in this room, standing right there, you can say, Lord Jesus, the scales are off. I see my sin, I believe. And God in his goodness comes and saves us at this moment. Others of us who do have a relationship or you might find yourself in a tough spot right now and, and your heart is in this negotiating place with God, God invites you today to push yourself away from the negotiating table and to sit again at the table that just reminds you that every spiritual blessing in Christ is already yours. There's no need to negotiate. promise is yours by grace. Let's sing this together.